All right, welcome back, everybody. Let's pray, and we're going to dig into Romans 10. Um, probably pick up, I think, 9 thir through 13, that, that range, and, um, and then we'll uh, hopefully press into the next section. Because um, we've already talked about some of this to some degree. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be here today, and we ask that you would pour your spirit out on us as we spend time in your word, and that your spirit would help us to hear the words, uh, to believe, and to live according to your promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, last week, it seems to me that we did spend some time talking about uh, 9 through 13. Uh, I do want to go back over that briefly. Um, 9 through 13 say, uh, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth uh, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that, that last line there, that is really the, the whole heart and the core of the, the, the story here, that you know, God saves us through Jesus. Uh, and uh, as this gets going, there is this part about confessing with our mouths. Um, have you ever heard the, the statement that's attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi's, uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, well, we used to have that posted on his door. Okay, well, no offense against, you know, the, the recently deceased. Yeah. But St. Francis never said that. Okay. Right. I don't um, know if he quoted, he quoted it from somewhere, but it may have been quoted. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, it is necessary to speak the gospel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, the idea behind it is good, you know, that our lives also confess the faith that we have. And, uh, and sometimes speak louder than the words that we speak. Um, but uh, if people are going to come to believe in Jesus, we do, have to, we do have to say these words. And hopefully that's integrated in our lives. Yeah. And it shows forth in, in the hope that we have and the way that we interact with other people. Because confession, um, particularly confession of faith, it's not just about words that come out of our, our mouths, it's about our whole, uh, our whole lives. Um, when we were in Michigan, we, uh, we, we had three houses in Michigan. When we first moved up there, we bought a small place that we could afford. Actually, we bought a small place we couldn't afford, and the <laughs> church helped us to afford it, and that was a blessing. And then we were able to parlay that into a, a bigger place, and the family got bigger, and then, you know, Finally, uh, we moved to this place, and it turned out that our backdoor neighbor was a member of the church, which was a really cool thing. Um, he was an older uh, gentleman, uh, never married, didn't have any family in the area, and my son Rick really grabbed on to him. Uh, he would go over and cut his grass, and you know, uh, Mr. Bob is what we called him. He, you know, Mr. Bob would have Rick come over and have lunch with him, and. You know, they did all kinds of stuff together, and uh, um, it, it was really a neat thing. Um, but Mr. Bob was also older, and so he had um, some health issues that came along with that. And um, there was a time that he had to have some heart surgery, 
And I remember going in and visiting him, and uh, um, he's just calm as a cucumber. I, uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more on the, uh, the high, strong end of, of those things. Um, if I, I don't like it when my life is in somebody else's hands. Um, and it's not even just my life. You know, it's, you know, if it's something that I'm supposed to you know, be in somewhat control of, I get nervous if I have to count on somebody else, and that's something I've had to learn over the years. Uh, it's, it's actually a blessed thing uh, to count on others, and you know, uh, but uh, he's there, he's in the hospital, uh, he is waiting for the surgery. Um, there was some kind of a cardiac event or something like that that was leading to it, so you know, just in the ER, it's not a happy place generally, you know, it's not. You know, and it is just a lot of stress and tension, and, and he's just like, mm -hmm. yeah. calm as can be. You know, and and, and uh, even the nurses were commenting on him, just how laid back and calm, and and uh, and he just he said, "If I die, I'm home with the Lord. If I'm here, I'm home with the Lord. I'm I'm good." I'm good, you know, and uh, uh, and that that was a confession of his faith to those people around him, and he even ended up talking with some of the uh, nurses and attendants as they were coming in, and and he shared his faith with them, you know, and that's uh, you know that, that that's part of our confession, how we live um, speaks to our faith. I do want to to. Put a little bit of a different twist on this though because a lot of times we like to look at those good examples like i just did with mr bob of the person who does it right mm -hmm. but the heart and the core of being christian is that we don't have it right right mm -hmm. and i think that you know sometimes the confession of faith that the world needs to hear um, that people need to hear is that God saves sinners, and I am one of them. Um, and I actually think that this is one of the places that the uh, the church has goofed up over the years. Um, don't hear what I'm not saying. I do think that behavior matters, uh, that our moral and ethical lives matter deeply, um, you know, that we should live differently. But the way that we live is not what's going to get us into heaven. It's Jesus that gets us into heaven. And, and so this, you know, we confess with our mouths and trust with our hearts. This really gets down to Christ died for me. And living as somebody who is forgiven. And if you're forgiven, that means that you must have done something that needed to be forgiven. Right? Um, and we need to keep that in mind as part of our confession. Um, because I think that as I'm listening to the voices out there, um, not the voices in my head, they're pretty quiet at the moment, um, but the, uh, um, the voices that are talking about the culture and all of that type of stuff, um, a lot of what I hear as people talk about the church is this idea that, you know, we think that we're better than everybody else. And that's 
that's not who we are at all. And if we think that's who we are, um, we need a kick in the shorts because that's not who Jesus has said that we are. You know, we are, um, we're, we're sinners and we're people who live in need of forgiveness. Um, it is said, and I'm not sure, uh, I think that this is true, but I, I'm not 100% positive, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, when Luther died, they found a scrap of um, paper in his pocket. He was very fond of writing on things, you know, little scraps of paper holding onto it. He would write on the walls in his house. Um, I, he had to have driven his wife nuts. You know, um, you know he'd get an idea, he'd be like, writing on the wall. Um, and uh, um, he, uh, when he died, there was a scrap of paper in his pocket, and on it it said, um, uh, we are all beggars. This is true. And we don't tend to live our lives that way. Not as American Christians. Um, we, we tend to see ourselves privileged. We tend to see ourselves with power. Um, you know, that we should be able to have our way. Um, but the idea that we're beggars, but we happen to be beggars who, uh, who know where to find bread. You know, it's a good place to be, um, to be able to say, we know the Savior. Let me help you find him. Somebody who's on the, on the road together. I think that that's an important part of this confession as we talk about what it means to be saved. I talked last time about creeds and confirmation uh, and, and all of those good things, but uh, um, you know, salvation is very much connected to what's going on in our hearts and what comes out of our mouths. And it's about this faith and this trust in God's promises uh, and what Jesus has done for us. Um, let's jump ahead to verses 14 through 15, unless there's a comment or question before I move on. All right. So 14 and 15 ask, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Excuse me. How will they learn to call upon Jesus? That's, that's a really important question for us to consider. Um, we consider in our homes, you know, how will our children learn to call upon Jesus? You know, some of you are in a different spot in that. Um, you know, Marcy's got little ones at the house still. Um, mine are, you know, teenagers and, and above now, you know, but, you know, and, and some of you have a, adult children, grandchildren, you know, how do you teach those kids to believe in Jesus? And uh, a lot of that goes back to your confession. It goes back to the, the conversations that we have with them. It's very different for Marcy with the kids, you know, let's go to Sunday school. And they might go, eh. You know, I don't want to get up, but there's a lot less force behind that resistance than uh, if my 16-year-old has decided that she does not want to go. Um, and God bless her, she is very good about this. I'm just, you know, and I, I, I don't want to denigrate my kids. Uh, she has a pretty, uh, she's a really good attitude. On the whole, she is human. <laughs> um, but uh, um, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, as the, as kids get older, right? Um, you, they will make their own decisions. Uh, 
they will do things that drive you crazy. Yeah. Okay. And there's, I think there's a, just a natural, uh, almost an instinct at some age to, to, to separate. Yes. And to make things your own. Yes. And it can be an actual impediment to faith. Yeah. If, if it's identified with, with, with some family things that you're trying to break free from. Yeah. And it's, and people tend to sort of rejoice if a child goes through the whole growing up thing and never leaves the church. But then sometimes that means it's still not their belief. Mm. It's their parents' belief. And I think some ways it's, it's very healthy to have some rebellion and some soul searching so that they can come back to it and decide what they believe. But mm -hmm. it's not easy to let go. No. <laughs> not, not at all. No. It's the only way they grow is through right. trial right. and error. Right. And, and, and I like that first word, you know, I mean, error is part of it too, but trial. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean trial in the sense of we're going to try things, but sometimes life is a trial. And, you know, and we go through difficult things, yeah. and those are times that we learn and grow the, the most often. You know, and we can't uh, we can't deny that uh, in the lives of our kids. Uh, the older that they are, it's harder to protect them, and less and less appropriate. You know, uh, one of the conversations I had with my kids in high school was. Um, and still continues to be. If you need me to step in to speak to a, somebody, I will. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, I think you probably have this under control. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I'll go talk to them, you know. But, uh, you know, but when it comes to the issues of faith, that's, that is really, it's, it's absolutely gut-wrenching sometimes, you know, to watch your kids kind of wander and struggle and and you love them and witness to them and encourage them without browbeating and you know oh it's tough stuff sometimes and some of you know this way better than I do oh yeah yeah Bill so what I really appreciate about you know, your, your teaching is that you help I know I, I have a hard time with this stuff but we're all sinners and every sin is the same yeah right? yeah and, and uh, try not to judge Right. Judge in a sense of when you when you watch, you know, you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, you think of find find one righteous man, find two righteous men. Yeah. So you're trying to protect, and a lot of this is protecting the next generation mm -hmm. from exposure to the dark side that is growing immensely. I mean, just an example of this, and and, and so that's so sometimes when you feel the resistance, and the church says. You know, I, I think you know, I, I know I'm right. The Bible says I'm right. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it in a loving way. Yes. But you also really want to fight this growing resistance yeah. because of your children. You know, this past weekend, my uh, nephew is a police officer in Russell, was called for extra duty because there's a church in Chesterland that was doing drag queen story of And, you know, that's, that's very upsetting. You know, I find it encouraging. Let alone a church, you know. Um, so you can understand a church saying, hey, you know, we forgive all and all. But there's another thing about saying we forgive that and embracing it. Yeah. 
you know, and and and, and, I'm not, and I think in that sense you're embracing. Yeah. You're almost saying it's okay, but it's really not okay. But we still love you. You know, you're forgiven. Yeah. But this 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 growing darkness. So you know, when your 16 year old says, "I don't want to go," maybe it's because you start to hang around with too much of, "Hey, it's okay." You know, there's many ways. You know, most of those people are very narrow or intolerant. It, it, it's just a struggle, you know. It's a struggle. You got to pray. Oh, and prayer is a, a key part in yeah. any kind of raising of kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. I'll go back to uh, um, that third article of the Creed that I love to go back to over and over again. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. You know who else can't by their own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ their Lord? Your kids. Yeah. They need, they need the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to hold them in the faith and to draw them close to him. You know, and uh, you know, to, to live in, in, in forgiveness and to be moved to, to live in a way that loves our neighbors and, you know, wants truth and wants the best for all people. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing. And, uh, and I do think that sometimes that's going to lead us to different takes on what is the right way to handle yeah. different situations. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, where was I? 14, 15. Uh, so how will they learn to call upon Jesus? So we talked a little bit about kids. Um, from very early on, uh, the, the church has been a missionary church. You know, it has gone out and shared the gospel, but not always willingly. Um, when you look at the book of Acts, uh, the church is really gathered early on in the city of Jerusalem. And as they are there, um, they're growing and they're drawing people in from Jerusalem, but they're not going out. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they're like, No, we're really, really comfortable right here in Jerusalem. And uh, this is pretty, uh, pretty much the story uh, throughout the you know, history of God's people. Yes, we're in this one place. We're pretty comfortable right here. We're not going to necessarily go out to the nations. And God gave them a gift. Persecution. And when the church started to be persecuted, drove them out. And they went out into the world, uh, and guess what they took with them? The gospel to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of, of the earth. It just it came with them as they went. And as they found themselves in these other places, then they started um, commissioning individual people to go out. This is where you get Paul and Barnabas going out on missionary journeys. Paul and Silas, uh, Barnabas and Mark, Peter is starting to go on missionary journeys. Um, and the apostles are going out to different parts of the world, taking the gospel with them. You know, and so all of these, these things, uh, as we look at the gospel going out, uh, this has always been part of who we are. Um, as you watch the, the history of the church, um, there came at this point, uh, the European nations in particular uh, started forming mission societies to bring the gospel out to other parts of the world. Uh, and, uh, and even today, 
there are missionaries um, who are going out from the United States, but we are also seeing missionaries coming to the United States from other places. Um, it, was a, it was a while ago now, but I, I did a cross-cultural experience in New York City. Um, and that was truly cross-cultural for a guy who grew up in northern Michigan, kind of on the edge of the woods. Um, and uh, as uh, uh, I was there talking with pastors who are working in the community, one of them is a guy from Ghana. And uh, I'm like, so are you know, emigrating here? He's like, no, no, I'm a missionary. The church in Ghana sent him to New York to reach out. There's a huge... Um, African immigrant population in New York, and he's there working with them to bring the gospel to them. It's beautiful. Um, now, when we talk about the gospel going out in the world, right motivation matters. And uh, as we look at the history of the church, some of this has been complicated over the years. Um, and this is something that we should know really well um, here in the Americas, um, because uh, the way that Christianity was brought to many of the, the indigenous people here, um, it wasn't out of necessarily a desire to bring the gospel to them. It was part of this whole colonization of a nation and some of it was done at the barrel of a gun. This is, this is not beneficial. Um, this is not how God wants people to come to faith. Um, that being said, did God use it? Were there people who came to faith through that, those efforts like that? Yeah, because God uses the brokenness of humanity to his glory. God works all things to the good of those who love him and keep his commandments, right? Um, and so when we, we look at this, some of this colonialism, um, this, this cultural hegemony um, that the Europeans brought with them when they came to the Americas, um, there are real problems with that. Um, there's a, uh, um, a podcast I listen to uh, every morning. It's Christian History Almanac. Really good stuff. Um, and uh, I, he and I, uh, Dan Van Voris and I, have had some email conversations on this topic of you know, doing evangelism well among the Native Americans. Where are the examples? I think we have one just down the road here at Schoenbrunn. Are you familiar with Schoenbrunn Village? Mm -hmm. um, they were Mennonites. Yeah. You know, and they came and they lived among, I, I don't remember what tribe they were, do you? No, I don't. Um, but they lived among the Native Americans there and they shared the hope that they had and they shared the technology um, you know, and the farming and they learned from and they, you know, and, and they had this community. And then during the Revolutionary War, um, uh, they were uh, uh, neutral in the war, um, and, uh, and the Native Americans that were with them considered themselves to be neutral to the war. However, the Americans did not consider neutrality to be a stance that could be taken, as did uh, the, uh, the British. Neither one of them were, and they, the, it was actually the Americans that came in and wiped them out. Yeah. There was also a, a settlement down along the towpath trail between here and Cleveland. Oh, really? Yeah, if you get into around uh, close to Rockside Road, you'll see some, some historical markers along the path. Okay. We'll uh, give you some of the history on that. And I think this was someplace they went after, 
after Schoenberg was leveled. Okay. You know, so th you know, there, there are bright spots out there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, those ones seem to be few and far between. Um, one of the other ways that uh, um, this whole sharing of the gospel things gets wrong uh, is when uh, it becomes about moralism rather than about the gospel. It's about you know, behaving in a certain way. In, in the colonialism and the moralism, they're really just kind of two different sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. You know, the colonialism, we want you to behave according to the culture that we came from. Moralism is, you know, we want you to, you know, just kind of keep all the rules. Mm -hmm. You know, and they never really bring about the, the forgiveness part. So the places where it's done well, uh, it, it tends to be done where there is both law and gospel. Where sin is addressed and acknowledged, but, you know, the key message is that Jesus brings forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So one of the... One of the best models that I've seen for this uh, is actually uh, up in Alaska when the Orthodox came over, uh, they, um, they, they started interacting with people and they set up their, their towns or whatever and, you know, and they would populate it with people and, and you know, they're going about their work and they're sharing the, the hope that's within them and people would start asking questions and their answer was, Come and see. Come and see. Come and experience the, the community. And th there were a number of tribes up there um, that, uh, that came to faith in Jesus. And I always find that kind of fascinating too because in, in their structure of their community, it wasn't usually just one or two people. It's like the whole group comes over. And there was some of that in Northern Europe at the time, uh, you know, way back as well. You know, if the chief becomes, then everybody becomes type of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but remember, remember, remember that God always works for the good of his kingdom. Um, and uh, uh, I've got a passage marked here. I don't remember exactly what it is, honestly. Uh, but Philippians chapter 1, um, verses 12 through 19. Oh, yes, I remember this. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, 12 through, uh, 12 through 19 says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So, I mean, catch that. You know, they're encouraged by the fact that he's in prison, that he's standing strong for the faith, and so they become more bold in the faith. And then he continues, he says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He says, whether they're doing it out of the wrong motive or the right motive, 
Christ is being proclaimed. Yeah. I think in European history you see a lot of kings that uh, were Christian to begin with, but it was like, yes, you've got the right pedigree and you're a Christian, but if you're going to be king of our country, you've got to convert to Catholicism or yes. you've got to convert to Protestantism. And some went with their principles, but I think for the most part their response was whatever. Yeah. 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 No, there was a lot of that. And, you know, if you study the history of England in particular, yeah. th there's a lot of I'm standing on what I am. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, the whole War of the Roses and, you know, yeah. Bloody Mary, Queen of Scots, all of that. It's, it's Protestant Catholicism. And there's a huge back and forth in that country. Oh, yeah. And a They're lot of blood spilled. Each other's churches. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, so... Um, England is fascinating you know, in, in that way, in that the monarch is the head of the church. Yeah. You know, so when you're, you know, when you're destined to be the king or the queen of England, you know, you are um, Anglican. Yeah. You know, because you're going to be the head of yeah. the, the church. You know, and I do get the impression that uh, um, Queen Elizabeth was the one that just died, right? Um, I believe that from what I've heard about her, she's very, very sincere in her faith. Yeah. yeah. Others, I couldn't tell you one way or another. You know, I think the Vatican is sort of that way too. Yeah, the Vatican. <laughs> I do think that uh, Pope Francis actually does believe the teachings of the Catholic Church. Yes. <laughs> yeah. giving them the right motivation and not judging them. These two factors are very strong points. Um, for an example, one day, like few, just a few days ago, I was driving around different parts of Apple to deliver a drop of lunch bag. It happens like probably at one corner of like Brown Street, there are like three people uh, standing like behind, uh, behind a restaurant. They are basically like chit-chatting with each other. From a distance view, you can't literally tell that they are in need, or you can literally tell that they are basically, I would say like their seeds has been dried out and their seeds needs to be watered, but we do. Um, they, are, they are wearing like good clothes, they look good, and like from a distance view, you'll, you'll see that there are like three people just having chit chat, having some nice, conversation having some moment I, I i became curious i drove down my truck towards them and i was like um i'm passing with this lunch bag this is a former church would you like to have some and then like oh my gosh they like literally blast like oh my gosh i need some toilet paper i need some water bottle i need this i need that i'm like wow so the fact what happened is like not being judgmental, yeah. not judging them by where, what are they doing, not judging them by their clothes, not judging them by how yeah. they look like. Yeah. Get into the situation and preach, not preach, try to share the message and see what, what, uh, what kind of outcome you get from there. It's like super amazing. Um, right motivation, that, that works very well. Another day, I was driving down the road, there was like raining, and all of a sudden I saw one person is 
like just walking into the sidewalk, in the side street, who could have been thought that this person might need some help? From a distance view, you can just see that he's a normal person, just like right, just walking to the, coming from work, and he's just walking to his home. I, for all of a sudden, I got curious about it. I was like, um, would you like to have some lunch? Looks like you'll come back from work. You look kind of tired. I think you you might use some lunch. He literally like jumped into here and he's like, you are a lifesaver and all this kind of stuff. And um, and he was saying me that what can I do for you? I can do this for you, I can do that for you, I can take care of your land, I can take care of your, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I do not need anything. I just wanted to share this message to you. And that is just an example. So that's all I want. Do you have any kids? Do you have any wife that uh, that I can give more uh, supplies to them? He's like, well, uh, if you can just give me two more, we can survive that supply. That will last us long for a week. My gosh, my gosh! Like three bags of supplies that we make, that we make. They are planning to stay. Then they're planning to. They're planning that that, will, that supply will last them for a week to survive with that supply for a week. My prayer is that when they open up that bag, first thing first, they will see they will see the Jesus smiling faces. They will see the scriptures. They will see the Christian tracks that we put them in. Before even open the bag, they will see the message that is written on the lunch bag, John 2:16, that Jesus has given. They will learn about the eternal life then they will uh, have their basic needs. Um, so that is like right motivation that no, there is no intention behind that. We are just the hands of Jesus Christ. So that works like very well. And I, I mean, uh, I saw in their face that uh, the supplies that I gave them, that was well received. Received with faith, received with belief, so, uh, yeah, I found that these two factors are really very powerful that this guy said. All right. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I, I want to stress when we think about um, how will they learn to call upon Jesus is that evangelism is a beautiful thing. It's not always treated that way. Um, sometimes people are um, uh, they're afraid of it. You know, um, and you know, so they're kind of intimidated by the whole thing. Sometimes they they, they see it as uh, um, judgment on others. You know, it's perceived that way. Um, but evangelism, the, the word itself means to share good news. Yeah. And when we believe what Jesus has done for us, you know, that's good news. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, um, and so when we evangelize others, it, it, it actually, it flows out of love. I, I think, and, and you can you know, define a lot about what's true evangelism and what isn't, but I would have to say there's a lot of ugly evangelism out there. Oh, sure. And that's part of the reason yeah. that people are scared of it, because they may have encountered some in-the-face person who mainly wants to make you feel bad about your sin. Yes. Uh, and that, you know, that's, that runs counter to what we really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is one of those things that sometimes, um, well, I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier, that, you know, we come across as judgmental and, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, 
you know, coming from. I'm, I'm just saying that that resistance isn't there by accident. No, no, it's part of our spiritual makeup as no, sinners. No, I mean it's also caused by. Oh yeah, 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 um, and uh, um, you know, so I. I believe that the devil is real and that he is at work in the world and he's at work in the church, mm -hmm. you know, and so he's, he likes to play both sides against each other. Yeah. You know, that's a good move if you can get two sides to hate each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, when we think about evangelism, you know, it, it really is intended to be something that flows out of our, our love, our love for God, because, you know, we know him as one who is good and blesses and, and has shown incredible love to us, but it's also driven by love for our neighbor, mm -hmm. wanting what's good and what's right and what's best for them. Um, and, and it's really, it's really this idea of drawing people to a righteousness that comes from faith. And I think that that's often what gets lost. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're still really uh, bound to the idea of a righteousness that comes from behavior. You know, you know, that we can see with our eyes, you know, and, and yes, we want righteous behavior too, um, but we gotta start with this righteousness that comes from faith. And we trust God to change people's hearts, to change them, to change us. You know, and that's, that's, that's a big thing um, and, and a big part of our, our life of faith. Um, so this passage, it's, um, it's, Probably quoting Isaiah 52, although it could be referring to Nahum chapter 1. Uh, in Isaiah 52, Isaiah writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Now, I have 10,000 points for anybody who can tell me where that comes up in our scripture readings pretty much every year. It's Christmas morning. Oh, okay. You know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, and uh, kind of fitting because here comes God with actual human feet. Um, and, uh, and baby feet are cute. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but this idea that, you know, feet are, on the whole, feet are gross. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, yeah, you're walking yeah. around in sandals and, you know, barefoot and, uh, uh, yeah. That's why foot washing is such a... Exactly. Exactly, yes. But the news is so good that even that dis those disgusting feet are yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and then in Nahum, um, Look to the mountains, the feet of the herald who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals. Fulfill your vows. You know, it, it just, just, just really this sense of that good news comes and, and, and celebration is, is to follow. All right. Anything else on evangelism? We have about two minutes. You don't have to be perfect. No. Yeah, now, I, I, I have met and I have talked with people 
who are really, they, they genuinely seem to be good at evangelism. Mm -hmm. I am not one of those people. You know, um, I, I've met people that, you know, it, it, they get into a, a conversation, the next thing you know, they're, they're witnessing and they're sharing the love of Jesus with somebody. I, I always find that awkward, I find it difficult. Um, I have found, uh, I have met people who use that kind of more conf confrontational evangelism mm. to great effect. Mm. You know, there are situations where that works. You know, mm -hmm. where people are hard-hearted and hard-headed and they kind of need to be, you know, run into before they're prepared to hear a, a message of love and forgiveness. Um, I, that's not me either. <laughs> um, <laughs> That is part of my job, but I don't think that any of us have the job to stand on the sidelines. Um, I do think that there are opportunities in all of our lives where we can speak of the good news. The, the, the model of evangelism that I tend to prefer, if you can even call it a model, um, is this idea of you know, being friends with people. And trusting that the Holy Spirit will open opportunities to talk about faith and that the Holy Spirit will give me the boldness necessary and the right words at the right time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I have a hard time with language sometimes. Hmm. And I, I was sure that Carolyn said, and it is your job to stand in the sunlight. And that gave me a totally different picture. <laughs> and, I, I, and maybe an appropriate one. Yeah. Yeah. Go you know, hide yourself, stand out there. Okay, I believe. Come here, you know. Well, Jesus says you are the light of the world, right? Yeah. And so there is, there is an element of that, that as you yeah. live your life of faith, you know, and, and, and again, it has to be the kind of thing where you're actually, you know, I'm doing this because of my faith. You know, yeah. that, that has to be part of the picture. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't have to be like this all loud and everything, but where the opportunity, at some point it has to be clear, why am I doing this, right? Yeah. You know, and, and to, to point people to Jesus. Um, and, uh, um, and I really find that that happens really well when you hang out with people, mm -hmm. when you are just enjoying each other. You know, because real, the faith that we have addresses real life. <clears throat> You know, um, and it's going to give you opportunities to behave as a Christian around people. And part of that will be to share your, your faith. Um, but sometimes people think that if you're sharing your faith, you're supposed to be preaching to them. And it's not preaching to them, it's just having a conversation. Right. Sometimes it is, though. Evangelism, you, you kind of get a picture of evangelism as a program where you do this and you do this and you do this. Yeah. But a lot of, like this car, uh, you know, you're offering them lunch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then evangelism comes with that. And my brother and a bunch of his friends are loving the name of Jesus, where they take donated furniture and they donate it and they take it out and you put it, you know, they give it to people that really need it. Well, they need the furniture. The yep. furniture is draw there, the food is draw there. But then along with that, you know, like he said, you'll go up there and he'll say, we've got your furniture here, we're here from 
loving the neighbor Jesus, and we bring it on in, <coughs> help you set it up and everything. And, and well, who are you folks? What are you doing this for? And then they've got that to bring into there. So sometimes it's something more subtle that you, you kind of have to get your foot in the door, whether it's food or furniture or something else. But other folks, it is. Carolyn's mom and her friend used to stop at the same gas station all the time. And the guy that ran the gas station, he was just very anti-Christian. Well, over the years, it got to the point where when he, was, he got past dreading seeing those two come in because they would hit him up every time. And he got to looking forward to those two coming in. And by the end, they had worn him down to the point that it finally sunk in. And it was like, yeah, there's something here. So I think of St. Peter, or excuse me, St. Paul. St. Paul is a, a very intentional evangelist. He is literally sent by the church. He goes to a community and he finds a synagogue. He starts preaching and telling people about Jesus. I, uh, I think about um, St. Matthew, on the other hand. St. Matthew is called to follow Jesus. And what's the first thing that he does? He has a dinner party. And he invites his friends and he invites Jesus. And, you know, they meet Jesus there. You know, um, and I, I tend to kind of think that, you know, as you're spending time with people, the Holy Spirit will open opportunities. Yes, absolutely. And, and then he'll give us the words that he needs us to speak. Yeah. And so even evangelism is an act of faith. Well, so. I'm, I'm a pretty sheepish evangelist, you know. But I, what I try to do is as I work with people or get to know them, I just leave little pieces like, oh, oh, Thursday's choir practice. Things that let people know that I go to church. Yeah. And eventually some of them start to ask some things. Yep. That's the really the best way that evangelism happens is if they have happened to ask first. Because, oh, is that so natural? C.S. Lewis, he was quoting, who was it? Rousseau, I think one of his favorite things that said that, you know, you will never convince anyone to convert by logic. Right. The best you can do is, is to make people wish that God were there, yep. wish that Jesus were there. Yeah. And once they, once they have that desire, then the, 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 the logic will come around eventually. Excellent. Yeah. All right. We need to get back into church, at least I do. Um, and uh, um, before we go, I want you to think about the things that we talked about today. What do you want to take with you? What do you want to hold on to as you go through the week? Uh, and take your paper with you, yes, and bring it back next week because we ain't done yet. So. Next week? Not next week, the week after. So I'm really asking for something now. Yeah, next week is Easter. We will. This room will be otherwise occupied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your spirit, and we pray that you would lead us and guide us to love our neighbors, share good news, the good news that we know in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.